Welcome to the Irish Tech News Podcast, presented by the tech doctor, Ronan Leonard. Hi, welcome to this Irish Tech News Podcast. Today I'm talking with John Clancy from Chatspace. How are you doing, John? Good, Ronan. How are you? Great, thanks. And tell me a bit about your background. Um, I'm from Galway, went to college in... Uh NUI Galway did a BCom uh, degree uh, from there. I joined uh, a local kind of a multinational for a couple of years, uh, working with startups in uh, the telco sector. Yeah. And I kind of left and then set up my own um, telco. It was around the time the market was deregulating back in 2000, 1999, 2000. And uh, it was really exciting, super exciting time. And then uh, we ended up selling that business early. Uh, I went on to work for uh, Dennis O'Brien and Digicel for about three years out in the South Pacific. Um, myself and my wife went out there shortly after we got married. Uh, it was pretty, it was great, great time. Really loved it. Very challenging, totally different part of the world. You know, got a lot of exposure working with governments, working with, you know, internationally. It was, it was really, really good. Really enjoyed it. Then uh, came home, dabbled in the digital health kind of space for a little bit with um, a, a couple of digital health uh, startups. And then I really wanted to, um, you know, set up my own one, especially after the last one I worked on, I went in to do kind of a, there was a bit of an IP um, recovery mission. I spent about six months back and over to Portugal trying to, um, just, it was a bit of a, an issue my, uh, my uh, kind of uh, company I was working with at the time had and I just realized, look, because I'm commercially driven, you know, why aren't I doing this for myself? And then I took a step out back in 2017 and set up uh, Chatspace. And uh, what does Chatspace actually do? Well, what we do, what we're doing now uh, versus what we started doing are probably two different things. Uh, now we're, we're building the world's most experienced virtual project manager. Yeah. Um, our world is enterprise, um, large Fortune 500 uh, companies. Um, they have a major, their problem is a failed IT projects across Europe uh, cost over 250 billion euros a year. And more and more work um, today and more than ever is going to be task driven and project driven. And the reality is most of it is, gone, is um, delivered on the subjective optimism or pessimism of the people delivering the projects. And what we do for uh, our clients is we give them previously unreachable uh, data-driven insights to be able to manage projects more efficiently um, by giving them visibility based purely on the data of whether we believe a project is going to succeed, whether it's going to fail, or whether it's going to, as we say, deviate from profit margin. Yeah. So that is our core product. Now, we didn't start out there. This is where, this is where we've ended up because um, we kind of iterated the development of the product um, over the past three years. Um, but it's a very exciting space, and we're about two months away from putting this in a box and scaling it um, across Europe. So it's a very exciting, it's like an inflection point in the business. Yeah, and I guess kind of like most startups, you've actually pivoted while well, you're doing your product and, and, and deviate slightly from what your, your first focus was into what you do now. Yeah, we started off doing, um, as I often say to my granny, like we're in the questions and answers business. That's what we started off doing. Um, and, it's, and for some people, it's hard to um, imagine that this would be a problem but originally, we started off as an analytics company looking at um, 
chat and brands and more of a B2C focus. Yeah. And we quickly realized our clients came to us and said, look, our problem is internal markets. Our first client was Nestle. Like they have about 400,000 employees around the world. So to find information in a company that has millions and millions of volumes of data sitting across countries, silos and continents becomes a real, real challenge. You know, it's like walking into a library. Uh, I often give the example of walking into a library. You know the book that you want, uh, but you don't know where it is. You haven't a clue. Just go find it. Yeah. And that becomes a real problem. And what we did is we built what's called a conversational AI, which means technology that you just talk to or text to say, I want something. I want either uh, a document. I want to find out some information. And we, will, we go off to the heavy lifting, find that document wherever it sits. We, ex- we read through it in real time, extract out the paragraph we believe you're looking for, present it back to you in either an email or in Slack or in some type of in Zoom, whatever channel you like to communicate on, with a link to the uh, attachment uh, of the document. And it saves time. Ultimately, we're saving people time. And this is the boring part to work. Like Nobody goes to work to be routine. You know, Routine is not what people aim for. So we do, we, and AI is very good at that part of um, that type of heavy lifting. So to help people to get information or to get um, access to knowledge, to share knowledge and be able to action it faster. And faster means, you know, you're becoming more efficient. You're saving time and time in our world is money. So in a way, you're like a more advanced Alexa. Yeah, it is like, or an internal Google, you know, yeah. some people say, oh, and that's what we started out doing was embracing the world of conversational AI and what's called natural language understanding. Now, all that means is, and we didn't create natural language understanding. I mean, Google, uh, like the great thing for us is the AI is pl- from a technology point of view, as I'm sure you're aware of, is playing out like on the global stage. You have China versus America. Yeah. And they're all producing white papers one after another to compete with each other. So, and it's all open source. So what we've done is just looked at the, not, the key pieces of research that are relevant to us and kind of joined the dots a little bit differently than somebody else. So that initially in the uh, NLU space, which more or less means it helps people to communicate with technology and the technology understands the meaning of what you're asking and the intent of what you're asking. Yeah. Uh, and in that interprets that meaning. Uh, and it was, you know, it was Google, Badu, the global leaders that are having their own battles that sorted it. But we've taken that learning, applied it uh, with our approach and applied it internally to enterprise and to our world, which is large scale enterprises. I know that uh, I've interviewed on my podcast twice, uh, Voices. I know that earlier in the year, they got bought over by Apple. And I know that they're doing great things with AI. And it's great to see yeah. another company like you guys doing similar work with that they're doing, making AI great for business. Yeah, they're a super company. I'm not that familiar with them, but I do know we, we share um, legal counsel, but I, I haven't come across the guys. But yeah, I think they were acquired for over 50 million at the start of the year um, with a, a product yeah, based on voice. Because you know, the reality is, and especially now, if you think about um, the trajectory, the way the world is going, different types of user interface, people are going to have to rethink about how they engage with technology. Because yeah. voice, I don't have to touch anything. I don't even have to touch my computer. You know, you can write uh, anything. You can write a blog by just talking to your uh, laptop. I mean, these technologies are going to become more and more ubiquitous, uh, especially, uh, I think, over the next couple of years because people are more very cognizant now of the fact of touching anything, yeah. meeting anybody, you know, both from a technology perspective but also from a human-to-human perspective. 
what I'm thinking right now, if look at what's going on now with COVID, if you can have less people touching things and more like using the voice to open and close things, it's going to be a lot safer. Yeah, it certainly will be a lot safer. You know, and one of the, you know, we do a couple of blogs, we do a couple of podcasts, um, not podcasts, but uh, webinars on yeah. this. And, you know, one of the things that I had discussed previously with some clients was like, there is a whole um, area about the extreme urgency of now. Now is the time where, where companies, because th- there is change and nobody knows what's going to happen in six months. Um, but one thing we do know is that the landscape has definitely shifted. And, you know, from a, from a business point of view, regardless of what business you have, as far as I'm concerned, you companies that are going to survive and succeed and grow exponentially over the next couple of years are ones that can increase what I would say the digital connection redundancy with their customers. Now, by this, I mean, is that how much are you possibly able to deliver your product or service digitally to people? Yes. Because... And during COVID, that really came to light with us because we had to do a couple of uh, product demos, a couple of um, live integrations with clients. We did them from our bedrooms is the reality. You know, our team, we're, you know, we're an agile company uh, from top to toe, not just on the tech side, but also marketing, commercial. We manage everything with an agile methodology. Yeah. And so for us to move to a remote um, like delivery, it's quite easy because we were doing it anyway. Um, all of our technology is our own. So it's because of that, the been able to move to been able to digitally connect with our customers and deliver our product from our bedrooms made us realize other companies, and this is the way the world is going to go. And the more companies that are able to digitally connect with their customers, they'll be in a much stronger position because you cannot be relying on that personal. It's extremely important. And technology, I think, will never, ever replace that type of face-to-face connection. But it's certainly going to help when it's not possible. And we've all seen the not possible, I think, over yeah. the last, you know, nearly four or five months. think, if this was 30 years ago, we wouldn't have the computers or tablets or smartphones able to do this. We'd, we'd, uh, we'd only be relying on basically RT and that's about it for our news on the TV in front of it. We'd have limited access to media online, so we wouldn't know what's going on elsewhere in the world because of, of, of uh, there was the, the, the no social media, no internet as such. Now you've got all that, it means that when you're at home, you can actually uh, decide and get up in the morning. You can look at your laptop and or, or your phone and, and uh, check your emails there, which is great. Yeah, it is. And I, and I do feel as well, I think, you know, my experience um, of, you know, now been engaging with people totally through Zoom or through Microsoft Teams or whatever it is, is that there's the certain hu- humanity has crept in a little bit to business. You know, everyone's had their cage run past in the background or somebody crying or, you know, something happened with their neighbor while they're on a call because, you know, this is the real world that we all live in yeah. is the reality. You know, nothing's perfect. Everyone is struggling to get by, you know, there's ups and downs. And I think because of COVID, it's brought that bit of a human touch to the reality rather than meeting somebody in a hotel or a boardroom where everything is official and everyone is, you yeah. know, shaking hands and, pretending everything is great. I think it has brought that little softer side that I hope stays. That's one of the positives that comes out of the lockdown and COVID over the next, you know, well, six funny, to 12 months. Funny thing for me is I, will, I did an interview uh, about a month or so ago with uh, somebody in HubSpot and they're based half a minute from my apartment block, the, the new office space, which they actually move, going to move into early this year. And I said, if you weren't in lockdown, I could have met you within half a minute, walking across from my place to your place. We can't do it now. And for me, this is this is kind of the new norm. Yeah, 
It's funny, isn't it? Yeah. It's just literally across the road from where you live. Yeah. Um, but probably as good a service, you know, and they're, they're yeah. a perfect example of a company that has been doing this. Do you know what I mean? They're digitally connected with all of their clients. Yeah. And, you know, that's a perfect example of a company that will grow, I think, and will succeed because automation where it makes sense with technology where it makes sense are companies that are really going to, I think, grow over the next, um, you know, in the future. I'm talking about, earlier, talking about voice. Did you ever see that video of the Scottish guys in, in the lift? No. <laughs> they're in the lift and they're trying to, uh, and the lift is voice controlled and doesn't understand right. their accent. So they try and change it, and then they finally try to change it to an English accent, and it doesn't work. And they're just getting mad and mad because lift will not open door for them, won't go anywhere, so they're locked in this lift. That is the one challenge. There's there's two areas. Like we deliver our technology across every language from a from a, a conversational point of view. Yeah. Like we've done deployments in Korean and Turkish, um, because ultimately all AI does is look for patterns and look for patterns in languages. Um, but when it comes to voice, uh, yeah. big challenges also children. Uh, and there's a whole area of AI devoted to, you know, if kids want to interact. And if, especially with Alexa, they have to do a load of work. And uh, Google Home of yeah. trying to understand accents. And Irish accents are very challenging, apparently, as well. But Scottish, probably a little bit more so. Yeah, it can it was be, from Glasgow know. as well, which is worse. Glasgow accents is one of the hardest from Scotland to actually decipher. So when I saw this, I thought, that's so true. And that. If somebody can crack that and make sure, if you're like from Kerry, imagine if you're Michael Healy Ray, how's that going to work as well? Would be a bit of a challenge. I'm not saying we're going to make <laughs> we're going to make Michael Healy Ray um, work on our AI, but, um, no, but it's not we, really our space. But yeah. somebody, someone's going to do it. It's probably going to be one of the big, the Amazons, the Facebook, the Googles of this world. It's the reality, you know. Yeah, they're the ones. They're having the race to own the world. Yeah, and if you think right now, with, with Apple and Siri, Apple have had problems with Siri the past few years. When they bought Voices, their view was, want to make Siri as good as what else, whatever else is out there. And a couple of years ago, I remember Voices hired the uh, a guy called Ian Dotson, who actually was ahead of, of voice technologies in, a, in a Google over there. So I think that will give great strides. So you see a lot more in the home fronts with, with Apple and Amazon and Google becoming uh, more advanced and doing things that normally you only see in a Hollywood movie or only see in the high-end companies. Yeah, you will. And I think you'll also see a lot of uh, the Internet of Things, voice connecting to your fridge, um, you know, when you, when you start running out of milk, when you, when you want to, you know, if you're baking, which everybody has done yeah. in the last uh, six months, you know, you should be able to talk freely to your iPad to say, oh, open up the recipe for whatever it is, bread or cakes or whatever you're baking. But definitely IoT voice, especially at home, I think that area is going to see huge growth. Because you're seeing it in cars already. You yeah. know, I mean, people are talking to their cars. That technology, BMW have spent a fortune in the space. Um, and, you know, autonomous driving. Like These are the areas where AI is really going to grow. Um, I, I, you know, I'd be quite confident over the next. Because it's all going to be built around. And even the AI that we deliver at Enterprise, you need, it's, it's every, and there's many companies can do machine learning. Many companies can do conversational AI. It's yeah. about the experience you're going to build around it that's going to make you a success or not and differentiate you in the market. Yeah. I can just see one day somebody having a car, but like Kate and Lightrider, like next talk, talk back to you. That'd that's be interesting. Well, that, I mean, that's, you know, that, and that's not a lifetime away here. That's here, more or less. Yeah, um, it's I not going to be in every car for no. another little while, but it, that, that technology is very prevalent. 
because right now you can use your car and you can ask your car to like uh, I want to commute the quickest route to get somewhere or where is the nearest power station it will, it will come up and tell you say and it'll be about oh this is here that is there but when it's soon where it can t- talk to you and tell you why you should go here rather than there because it'll say oh if you go there the food is better or the price is cheaper it'll give you more reasons why it certainly will and it'll also what they're looking at is integrating work into I know that a couple of car manufacturers are looking at how they're going to integrate with say how you manage your calendars whether that's in Google or whether that's in Microsoft or whatever tools yeah. you use that they can integrate those tools into the car so it can schedule meetings for you as you're on the fly it can take dictation from you as you're going write your emails as you're in the car like they're looking to be more and more you know automate as many of these tasks as possible and that's where AI really works is that type of you know, these simple tasks, it will do very, very well. Yeah, because I'm, I'm looking at AI, and, and uh, from what we saw years ago and what it is now, like I remember years ago watching a movie called Demon Seed. Demon, remember the movie where the uh, AI yeah. took over the whole, whole house? It was computers that took over the, the whole house. And it basically wouldn't let the person in the house leave. All right, okay. It was mid-70s. Well, like the, big, the big challenge, what most people, I think, can't get their you know heads around is that... You know, AI is like, there's a paradox. There's, a king, there's, a, there's an area called uh, Moravec's paradox. I don't know if you've heard of it when it comes to um, AI. And it's a discovery by um, researchers that contrary to any assumptions, it's high level um, reasoning that re- involves very little kind of AI power is the yeah. reality. And as an example, if you are a very skilled surgeon uh, in whatever discipline you're specialized in, for an AI to be programmed into a robot to do your job, it's tricky, but very, very doable. And it's been done all around the world. What is very, and that is what we would call narrow AI. Yeah. And that's an area that we've kind of specialized in now. We've moved away from what is the more general AI. And general AI is what everybody's worried about. Uh, because to automate the surgeon's job is very, very, is easy enough for AI. But to automate the surgeon's secretary or PA, her job, yeah. which is multi-leveled gray, which we all live in. Nothing, nothing in the world really is black and white. We all live in this gray area. That is a real, real challenge. And that is the difficulty for AI over the next, you know, five to 10 years is to manage the general. Yeah, so in America about a year or two ago, they developed a robotic AI that can cook burgers for you, hamburgers. And yeah, that's fully, fully automated restaurants across I mean, in Japan already, there's fully automated restaurants. Yeah, and then that I've definitely will see more and more. Then I've seen as well, they did a thing where they had AI that can now work as journalists. And they will go through and crawl online, find out what's happening, and write about it. That's very good. That's kind of scary. For me, it's kind of scary thinking that with a job I do, in the future, you could be talking to a robot, not me anymore. It's just kind of scary thinking about that could be your avatar I'm talking to in five years' time. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, I don't think that, that's a while away. I really, I, you know, yes, the capability is there, but the, the ability to map the human mind, like nobody has done that. It's very difficult at a level where, um, you know, it makes sense. That is just very, very challenging. Yeah. And um, that's not, you know, I'm certainly not going to crack it, and it's not an area that we're looking in because, we were we were in the more general space, and we like we focus now, kind of definitely in a more narrow delivery. Yeah, because I guess working in a more narrow delivery, you're more or less in a niche area, and something when you're doing niche things, 
that's where you, you'll um, make more money. Well, yeah, and it's where you make a difference. You know, we started out, and in essence, you know, when you're a startup, it's really tough. That's the reality. You yeah. know, you're on your own, uh, more or less. You've got a couple of investors behind you. But we were becoming, I would say, a quasi kind of services company. Yeah. Um, we were taking projects because there were AI projects, we were taking them. And it made sense for us at the time because, look, it's money. And we're like, we're paying people. We were starting to grow. And I said, is that any way towards, you know, um, helping us, uh, you know, deliver our product? And if it was, we were convincing ourselves, okay, let's take that project. And we went from project to project. But very quickly, I realized we're never going to, you have to be able to put something into a box. If you're going to build, you either become a, a services company or you become a product company. And we were always a product company. And I said, we need to get something that we can hone our experience over the last number of years uh, in the enterprise world, put something into a box that we can now scale across our clients based on the feedback and the market telling us where the problems were. And kind of that's the inflection point I'd say that we're at, you know, right now over the next, because we're planning September is our, which is very, you know, the end of September, the last week of September, we're launching um, um, our first, like, AI product, so yeah. it's it's a you know it's an exciting time for us right now. That sounds like it's going to be a, a lot of fun. Yeah, well, I hope so. It'll certainly be a lot of work, that's for sure. Yeah. Um, but look, we have a great team. You know, there's we've there's only ten of us uh, in the business, but we've been growing steadily uh, year after year, and we're in the middle of you know a, a kind of a an investment round um, at the moment with our our partners, uh, Focus uh, Capital Partners in Dublin. Uh, we're raising two and a half million with them through private investors and also with uh, our partners, Enterprise Ireland, who invested in us um, back in December uh, 2017. But I think, you know, the reason that we're, we're looking at scale, we're not investing in, hopefully we have an idea and we want to flesh it out. We've gone to the market. We've spent three years up and down. I mean, it's been a roller coaster. I'd like to say it's been all good and all positive. We'd have, we've had very like low days, high days, lots of, but we've taken all of these learnings and, you know, one of our, for us to do business in the world we do, like, for example, Nestle could never do business with a startup. Yeah. In order for you to do business with Nestle, you've got to spend six months onboarding. Uh, so what we do is that we, the service side of our business, which is really important, there are many companies around the world that deliver software integration and professional services, like Accenture, uh, Deloitte, um, uh, Atos, uh, DXE Technology. So we partner with these guys to do the service side of our of our product. So they do the uh, all the what we would call the white glove treatment, the project management, the integration, the testing, the handover, and the, the sustaining and managing a product. Because you can't just drop a product into a, uh, a company at the size that we're looking at. Because AI can work in a in a test environment, but to get AI to work and scale in a real environment is a super challenge, and you need a good partner that has the relationship that, you know, because ultimately we're going to be giving them our product. They'll, they will wrap it with their own look and feel, but it will be powered by us. Because, you know, to put it into context, one of our closest partners at us, you know, they've got 7,000 enterprise clients across the world. Yeah. We'd be a long time trying to hire enough of a, of a team, enough building enough relationships. And by the time you would have all that done, the opportunity in the market, we feel, would have probably passed you by. Yeah, well, it sounds like basically you've had a good time to battle because when, you, when you're in a startup, there's going to be days when you're going to actually uh, love doing it and you hate doing it because things aren't going your way. But that's probably part of the challenge and fun of doing that. 
Yeah, it is. And it was definitely, I mean, we started doing business in Switzerland, which was another huge challenge because it's one of the most expensive countries to do business in. Yeah. Um, you know, if to fly there, to stay there, you know, going out for lunch, bringing clients out for lunch. I mean, it's like, you know, 50 euros to go for lunch. It's like it's a really expensive part of the world. Um, but the one thing I really like about doing business uh, with uh, Swiss people and is that, you know, they'll say something, yeah, I really like that, let's go with it. And then that, that to them is like solid as a rock, that's concrete. Yeah. And the legals will follow and the contracts will follow, but they really, they're like, they're true to their word. And it's been good for us to have that exposure, you know, to, because all of our business is exports. We, um, we've no, I would say Irish clients, all of our clients are, now we've only a small client base and we had to take a step back because we had to take a step back from that quasi services doing one project after another to say, hang on, pause, build a product and then go to scale. So if you think about it, we kind of had to take a step back in the business, you know, look at what we're doing really well, that there's a demand for, and then uh, go to the market and say, okay, I need to put more petrol in the tank outside of existing cash flow. We need to hire 10 more. We're hiring um, about six more marketing people and about seven on the, the, the technology side to kind of harden and bulletproof the product. And on the other side, just to start shouting and telling people about it to create, you know, a bit of a... Uh, a bit of a, a marketing kind of a buzz in our in our world over the next 12 months and that's why we've kind of we've gone the route of okay let's get some let's get some investment and scale and really go after it because it's a fast moving space and we can't sit still yeah and i guess basically I, uh, because you've got very few clients it's easier to spend more time with them because obviously they're, they're big clients like Nestle, for example well, yeah i mean they are big i mean atos of you know, they turn over 13 billion a year. Nestle own 10% of all products on, in the world. So they're, we, could, we could spend the rest of our lives delivering um, services and bespoke technology into these clients. And it was very hard to make a decision to take a step back. But it was one of our clients came to us and said, look, we've got a problem. And, our, you know, we have a problem that we want to be able to have what they would say a virtual um, that's why we say we're building the world's most experienced virtual project manager. We've spent the last two years analyzing all data associated with, with projects to be able to say, um, look at these large volumes of complex enterprise data. Because data in enterprise is very complex. It sits across different countries, different continents, different silos, different systems, and be able to look, build a model that's able to look into that data and predict and proactively alert people to what's going to happen before it happens, based on the patterns of the past. That's all machine learning, you know, really does, is that it looks at, um, some people call it a thing laborer. It looks for patterns that we'll call things, then yeah. it labels them, and then after it labels them, it uses, um, it creates, we create an algorithm to analyze uh, these patterns, and instead of explicitly giving um, a computer an instruction, we just give it examples. We give it examples of successful projects, not successful projects. Yeah. And it begins to join the dots itself and learn and get better. But the, the most important part, I think, of our approach to this is that we also like to involve the people because you have to, in, like the more digitally focused we get, the more focused we have to become on the people that are going to be using this technology. So what we do is we've got like what we like to call a feedback loop. So we... If, our technology won't always know the answer. So it'll push the question to the people in your company that will know the answer. 
And then we'll see, oh, Ronan answered that question really well, and it'll push your answer into the back into the technology. So the next time it's that that question is answered, it'll use your answer to uh, go back to the person. So it's, it's kind of that, what we call internally crowdsourcing the development of AI. So there's buy-in, because you need to get buy-in. Because if yeah. you don't have buy-in from the people that are going to be using it, like it ain't going to work, no matter what you're rolling out. Yeah, and uh, I guess basically, talking earlier, you mentioned that COVID-19 has changed the way that AI has been used. For example, we're going to be seeing a lot more of AI, not, not just touchscreens and everything else. I think you certainly will. And what AI has done, I mean, for us, initially when... Um, COVID hit, I mean, everything, everybody was like shoved into, into shock. And we looked at, you know, our, we were building our, our virtual project manager, but we also had a fully functional um, uh, Q&A capability, which was our, like our knowledge management AI that we built previously. And we repurposed that um, as an ops help desk because some of our clients came to us and said their HR departments were overwhelmed with people asking different types of questions, whether it's, you know, what is the return to work policy? Uh, what am I entitled to? And a lot of the questions were the same, you know? So we said, okay, we'll, we have the ability uh, from the product that we previously built. And we'll say, here, use this. It'll be able to take 80% of your questions that are routine, mundane, leave your experts in HR to answer the multi-layered, complex questions, but let the AI uh, take a lot of the bulk so that if people, and a lot of people, when, especially when it comes to HR questions, they don't really want to speak to a real person, is the reality. You know, they're more than happy to say, I'm looking for the latest version of our paternity policy, or whatever it is. I'm looking for uh, this document. Please tell me about something. It's a transactional type of activity. Um, and that would, and the great thing for us is, it kind of, you know, it, it got us kind of back into, because everyone initially, for the first two weeks, was like, oh my God, in the world, what's going to happen? But it got us back to, you know, business mode and saying, okay, we have something that we, we believe can help. We initially gave it out for free to uh, any um, hospital in Europe through our clients, um, of which a couple of them took it up. Um, we gave it out for free in, in Ireland as well to the HSC, but I think the HSC were overwhelmed at the time. Um, but it got us exposure to other partners, which is great. And then now that, you know, people are becoming to, you know, coming out of their shell, um, over the last couple of weeks, these partners that we have recently engaged in Europe with our COVID ops help desk product have said, well, what is actually your core product? And then, so it's gotten us, let's say, indirect business, which I was not expecting um, at the time um, through it. So it's, you know, it, it hopefully will be um, of, of benefit, you know, in the future. So where do you think AI is going to go next? Is it going to be Hollywood or is it going to be more, uh, less realistic than that or more realistic? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. I mean, it's a million-dollar question uh, or a billion-dollar question. Um, definitely in our world, in the, in the world of um, enterprise, like there's already begun a merging of what we would call true automation, yeah. which are companies like uh, the first DECA unicorn, I think UiPath were announced during the week. They do pure automation robots. So if you, as an example, they automate workflows. If, it, if you need to log in in the morning, and log into different systems and you need to run certain reports, they will do that very, very efficiently. And what they're, what's happening now is that the more cognitive side of that ability, which is artificial intelligence, which is a totally different set of skills and tools, they're beginning to merge. Because you can see, you know, even from 
everything is going to be around a personalized experience, especially when it comes, and this is both internal in our world and enterprise, but also outside, is that you have to deliver what people expect, you know, and people that are working are also consumers when they're, you know, at home. So there's a certain level of expectation in enterprise that, you know, you don't want, you want to look at what you like looking at, you know. So for us, you know, we're delivering our technology in the enterprise world, but every, if, depending on who you are in the organization, if you are a project manager, you will get to look at a certain um, type of analytics and look and feel on our technology. If you're a CEO, you'll get a much higher level. You'll be looking at reports. You'll be looking at risk reviews. You'll be looking at, you know, you want to know more about the, the traffic light, the red, amber, green. How are my, How is my business performing at an overall level? Um, and it's the beauty for us is there's no guessing who's using our, our platform. Everybody that comes to work in our world signs in in the morning. And then once you sign in, the company know who you are anyway. So we know who you are and we know what level of access that you have. So if you want to run a certain type of report or you want to get access to a certain type of data, you will if you're entitled to it based on your role within the company. So it's delivering, I believe, that uh, personalized uh, experience and especially in enterprise it's also going to be built around what is the, are you really improving? Is it just another technology and saying you're using another technology because it's sexy to say you're using AI? Or is it something that's actually delivering uh, a proper return on investment? And whether that is a quantitative one uh, based on uh, hours saved and a more efficient delivery of projects, or whether it's happier customers because they've been delivered on time, Ultimately, what we're trying to do, and I think what most technologies should do, is focus on making people's lives more meaningful, whether it's at work or whether it's, you know, at home. So that, you, because we've, we've only got a finite amount of time. So if I'm at work, I want to be my creative best. And all we're doing is giving people the ability, like we're giving them like a virtual co-driver to say, you need to look at these projects right here because we believe based on the data, they're going to start to, you know, deviate from profit margin very quickly um, and that keeps them on track and here's what you need to do to do that and it'll prompt them and remind them so that you have more time to focus on what's important which is customers so they can you know and they don't have to the worst the, the most difficult thing to do is as we say in the enterprise world is to go back to green because if a project starts to go wrong all that's going to happen is you have more eyes which means more cost you have more managers looking at it People are under more pressure because they don't believe, they don't have confidence in the project manager to deliver the project or the account manager anymore. So more and more cost is layered on. And a critical point to remember is that every one euro in a failed project, the company has to deliver five euros in revenue because they're only making about a 20% margin yeah. overall. And that's been generous. Uh, some companies are making much tighter margins in the, in, um, the enterprise world. It's that level of every one euro lost, you know, at the back end, you have to create five euros from customers that are not happy with you. So it is delivering and building an approach to that experience. And that's why I think nobody really cares how they do anything or how they get something done. What they want is, I want to ask a question that's going to help me do my job and I want a relevant answer. And I don't want to wait all day for the information. I want it pretty, I want it in Slack or I want it in Microsoft Teams or I want it in my email and give it to me in a pie chart or give it to me in an Excel file the way you like to receive your information. And I think that level of personalization, especially in AI, I think there, that is what will succeed. Um, if you're able to deliver that experience uh, packaged correctly, 
um, whether it's a voice or whether it's a chat experience or whether it's, you know, a, you log into a web portal, whatever experience you like, if, it's, if you're able to deliver that, I think those type of companies will definitely succeed in the space. Yeah, and I guess basically, from what we've, like, for example, what we've seen on, on, in horror movies, slowly it's coming down to, but I can't see us having Skynet anytime soon anyway. No, I would totally agree with you. You might in the movies. Yeah. Um, but, like, there's, that's a whole other, you know, probably a whole other podcast around the ethics of AI and where AI is going. And there needs to be a UN for AI. Like, people need to start stepping up here and realizing that it's okay for, you know, because what you're referring to there is more general AI, which is a whole other area and it's a whole other challenge um, because people have quickly realized, you know, especially over the last six months that their data, their personal data, their company data, it is absolutely the most important, uh, you know, as Andrew Ng in AI says, it's the new electricity, it's the new oil, it's, it's going to be a $16 trillion business. Like this is... And it's the power of it, the petrol for AI is data. So that's why I think, you know, if there's any learnings that we have looked at over the past three years that have gotten us to this point, is that there's no shortage of any amount of AI use cases for companies or across the world. You can, the, you know, there's no shortage of data. There's like we're all creating like vast amounts of data every single day. But getting access to that data, uh, especially in an enterprise environment, is very difficult because there's legal issues. There's the fear of, you know, data being leaking. There's quality of data is a huge problem. Uh, you know, collecting the data because it's maintained in different formats. Regardless of all the great tools we have around the world, I think over 90% of all data still sits in Excel, which is hard to believe, yeah. but it still does. And that's, that's kind of scary when you're thinking that of like a software that it's using Excel, which, which goes back years. And it's but like it's still doing the job. Yeah. But to be able to get to get some insight um, out of your data, like you don't want. And the most important thing, and one of the biggest learnings for us is, is that number one, you got to build the right experience around the AI for success. Um, the quality of the data becomes a secondary role um, because you know you need to be able to automate how you're going to clean that data and curate the data so it, you can feed it, would say, into the AI. Um, algorithm but well like what is becoming extremely important is the fact that you most of our clients they will never share their data they the only reason we were able to build our algorithms and train it on complex enterprise data is because we had three years of trust built up we just signed very strict ndas um, with some of our clients um but we were then we once we got access to their data you typically take 80 percent of it and you train a model and the other 20 percent you don't introduce to the model, you kind of test it on the model. But what we're doing is that we're, we're now that we have this done, if you think about it like a bucket, we're giving our clients the bucket and we're saying, here, put the bucket inside your four walls. You, we'll give them the ability to spin it, to fill it up with the data and to create their own outcomes. Their data never has to leave their own on-premise environment, never leaves their IT uh, infrastructure. So we have no security issues you know, everything we do, and I know this is, I think, an area, Ronan, that you kind of blog on a bit regarding security is, you know, we do, you know, dockerized, um, uh, containerized deployments in Microsoft Azure within their own private cloud or their own on-premise because yeah. it's our own tech. We don't do any call-outs to any third parties. So we're giving this automated approach to our uh, clients so that... 
they're, we're giving them the ability. So you could be in your car, as an example, like our vision for the future of this is a project manager's in his car and he's thinking, I want a report on the, our Chinese uh, customers for XYZ customer that between a range of X and Y with all of our other different parameters and I need to know, I need an update as he's on the way to a meeting. And then we'll take that, we'll our, with our conversational AI, we'll interrogate and create a model for him based on their own company data and then present it back to him in a, whatever type of chart or form to simplify it. So he doesn't need to ask another person in the organization. He can just self-serve. And mm -hmm. that is the kind of, kind of unique ability that we're giving our clients is that you, know, you don't need to go and ask you know, a data warehouse or a group of people to run a report for you. Just go do it yourself. You know, empower people to do and be more effective at work. That's great. Back in 2017, I did a podcast with a, a CEO of a company called Corval. Don't know if you know who, who Corval are. Have you heard of no, them? No, I'm not familiar. Well, they're a company that are based in Dublin, and they actually do the AI behind all the main uh, world stock markets. So they, oh. they monitor all the trades going on, and they can tell within minutes of a second every trade is fraudulent. That's, yeah, that's, that's uh, you know, you're talking super real-time uh, data yeah. uh, models. Like the beauty for us is, you know, when it comes to projects, we, we typically, you know, all data, enterprise data sits in SAP is the reality, but that's in most of our clients. But it sits across these very large enterprise systems. Yeah. And we use robots like UiPath that I mentioned earlier because you would need to extract the information out. So we provide that capability for our clients to extract out that information at night, maybe at 12 o'clock at night, so that when you come in the next day and you want to run your report or ask your question, it, the, the data, it's near time. Yeah. We don't, because if your project is beginning to go, you don't need to know. So we're lucky in that respect that, you know, we picked that particular approach that we don't need that extreme level because that is a very sophisticated, you know, model and algorithms that those guys are obviously powering. Yeah. Um, but for us, it's, you know, it's not really uh, an issue in the enterprise world. Yeah, with those guys, Corv, when I interviewed them, I, I, I'm scared of thinking how advanced that they've come in the past three, four years since I met them. So I interviewed them because what they're doing is they're saying that, yeah, we're in, they gave you single, all the, the stock markets are in Frankfurt, Singapore, London, New York, and everything else. And they're saying within seconds, Within milliseconds, they can say, "Oh, that uh, that uh, that trade is fraudulent." I'm thinking, "Wow, that's scary," in a good way. Yeah, that is pretty. That is pretty scary, and they're probably using very advanced. You know, again, it's I'm sure it's a combination of machine learning and deep learning capabilities that they would have yeah, it is. Uh, in the company based on vast amounts of data that they've been able to crunch and analyze to see those patterns. You know, over the last, especially over the last number of years, and, and very relevant. Yeah, it's a good example of how AI works. Yeah, they spun out from they were they were they were founded by a professor in Trinity College, and that's where it spun out from. They got see got some of his uh, students involved in it as well, and it's growing. And it's fact now that they're powering most of the submarks in the world. That shows you how important, relevant Ireland has become in the AI space. Like what you guys do with Voices Day, what these guys are doing, it's all it's all great to see that. It is, and I think the the ecosystem that the kind of, in fairness to you know Enterprise Ireland have created, you know, because another great initiative was that we have like what's called a founders forum for the first kind of twelve months that you're in business. Yeah. You have nine other peers that you know are going through the same ups and downs as you. They're similar businesses, but not you know the same. But they're on the same kind of path, and you need that kind of support and structure in place because 
it, like it's it's challenging and it can be lonely because you're like, who am I going to talk to about this? You know, because half the time you're questioning yourself, you know, I'm great. And the other half the time you're saying I'm crazy. Yeah. Uh, you need some kind of ballast to, uh, you know, keep yourself on track. And it's that peer to peer kind of support that Enterprise Ireland to put in place. And also, you know, Ireland is an AI. We have like we are heavy hitters in the AI world. Yeah. Um, with a lot of incubators around the country, uh, not just in in Dublin, but like as you said, outside of in in Galway, in Cork, there are many um, incubators of AI uh, been brought out of, and it typically has been spun out of universities. Yeah, that was the same thing. That was that was what I was talking about. Cut me earlier. Uh, Corville had spun out of university, and the thing is, right now, if you're starting off and you're in the AI space, in fact, you've got companies that have, in Ireland have done a very good job of doing the AI space like you guys are doing, it, it proves it can be done. And you, you're there to also to give mentorship and support as well. Yeah, and it's a great thing to do, you know, and I, you know, I, I talk a bit about AI and like it's, you need, everyone needs a mentor uh, or a couple of mentors in their life. Everybody needs a bit of support um, because going into bit, it's the harder road. That's the reality. Regardless of whether, you know, as they say, an overnight success takes 10 years at least. Uh, some people make it there quicker, some don't. But um, it's the people on the journey with you that's, you know, absolutely key. But it's timing. And I think the timing, especially for AI, I think the timing is now. And now is a really crucial um, time, I think, for AI to work in the areas where it's very, very good um, and focus on where it can improve people's lives at work. Not replace. It's not going to be the great replacer. You know, not in, um, not in my lifetime anyway. Um, anyone, we all have to, what I would say is level up. Everybody has to reskill themselves because this, if it's done anything, it's made us all look at, okay, what am I actually doing? What am I doing with my time? You know, why am I writing all these emails? Why am I having this meeting? And that's the other great thing. It's really, really focused people to think, why am I having this meeting? Why can't we have this meeting in 10 minutes rather than, you know, an hour? Let's just get to the point quicker because... It's made us all realize time is precious. Yeah, and it also, you get time to get people doing jobs that are mundane, like throwing through data and putting together. And at, at times, when you're doing that job day in there, you get bored making mistakes. And if you can get AI to do that, especially in a pandemic, to do all that and you're left doing what you're good at, that's going to be good all around. It is. And for, especially for project managers and account managers in our world, they don't want to be uh, running reports, looking at an Excel file. Um, you know, putting their own, because ultimately a, a lot of them go on. There's many tools to collaborate. There's many tools to manage a project. But what we're saying is use the tools you're using. Uh, don't change. You know, we're not going to say use our technology instead of some other technology. Just we'll wrap the, your existing uh, framework of tech, that whatever tech stack you have, whether it's Microsoft, whether, you know, most of our world it is Microsoft, whether yeah. it's our SAP or it's a combination of all. Keep your tech stack. Just our technology will work in, in behind it and it'll just give you insights to what's happening before it happens. So use your Microsoft project, use Trello, use whatever tools you're using to manage your business. But in, ta in parallel with that, um, we'll prompt you to say, we think you should start looking at project A, B and C for these reasons, because we think they're going to start, you know, uh, they're going red or there's something happening based on the patterns we've seen with thousands and thousands of other projects. It may be wrong, but we're currently at about 94.5% accuracy. Um, it's pretty accurate for in our world, yeah. but it's not always going to be right, but it, it gives a second opinion. Yeah. And that opinion is purely based on 
the data, not based on whether I'm in a good mood or a bad mood, yeah, or whether to, I'm pessimistic or optimistic. Yeah, I was thinking that it wouldn't base, wouldn't be biased. For example, if you know, for example, in the past you've done things certain way, it doesn't work that way. You're not suddenly going to assume because of that what happened in the past will happen again. It's going to go on data and tell exactly why he's doing this logically. Yeah, it will, and it, it takes out that, but it. It will put the human element into what's important, which is managing up with your boss, yeah. managing your clients, and not managing the... the, the uh, because if your job is to interpret a spreadsheet and kick it up to management, you're the first job that's going to be under pressure when it comes to AI. Yeah. Um, if your job is more of a knowledge worker, which the majority of jobs are in our world, then... This is a support to you. It's just a tool. It's no more than that. And yeah. it's one of the tools you will use to make your job better and make you better at your job. And that's what we hope that, you know, our product is going to do over the next, you know, 6 to 12 to 24 months as we roll out. Yeah. Because I'm thinking that in, in, in the long term, uh, what it's doing is it's making sure that you can love your job again and not be stuck doing a mundane task like, doing the accounts or doing stuff that you don't need to be doing. Because you think, I've got the degree, I'm qualified to do something, why am I doing this? Yeah, and it's, if anybody uh, and has learned anything, if you sit still, you're going you're gonna to be passed out. Yeah. You know, we all got to reskill ourselves. We all have to move on. And, you know, if your job is just purely, you know, analyzing spreadsheets, or there's very few people actually doing that. They'll have to do it as a small portion of their job. It's probably boring them. They prefer to be doing other tasks that are, you know, going to deliver more to the bottom line or make people happier at work or whatever the KPI actually is to make things, you know, better at work for you, whatever that role that you're doing in. Yeah. Now, getting back to what you do, tell me a bit more about the webinars that, that, you, uh, that you host. Yeah, when we started this in, uh, I, you know, never hosted a webinar until um, the lockdown. And then we were asked and then we were asked to do a number of them. And they kind of focused, our webinars were focused around what we, I referred to earlier is why your AI journey needs to start now um, with COVID-19. And try to explain to people is that, you know, it's number one, everyone is like an AI journey is like people talk about digital transformation. You know, it's not about, oh, I use Zoom, so now we're a digitally transformed company. Or I use, you know, it's much more than that. It's about looking at every single area of your business um, how you approach that, what structure do I put into that that aligns with the business goals that where AI is going to make sense. And typically, uh, we, I would always advise um, any of our clients is that, look, look at the tech stack that you have. Um, look where it makes sense to deploy AI in, in an area where you can get a direct return on investment so that you can internally then go and sell it to your bosses. And you can say, look what I've done. We've, we've put an AI team together. Typically, it's a desperate group across the company that you can have maybe a product person, a technical person, a more of a commercially driven person. They create a pilot. They say, here is, we've applied AI in this space. Um, and typically for us, it's around the project space. And they're like, look what we've done. We have reduced, we've saved 295 hours this month. People are not checking their emails. They're not having to download reports. Look how more efficient we are. And then people begin to realize, okay, well, where else can we go with this? What else can we do? Um, but our, typically we would say, look, understand people are complex. You know, that's the reality. Uh, you know, in order to get, you have to get buy-in for any new technology to work. Um, it has to interact with different systems. That is absolutely key. 
It has to answer a number of customer questions as well as employee questions to make sure that it's actually improving the experience instead of just putting something in because it's new. There's absolutely no point doing that. Yeah. Um, and it's about setting ambitious goals, but look, they have to be time-bound as well, which is really important. We say, look, there has to be a start and a finish. Like, show people, here's what it's like before. And that's the what we do. Here's what it's like before, and here's what it's like now. You know, before it was X, now it's either X minus or X plus. So it's that level of transparency people need to kind of scale. And that's what we try and get across in the webinars, is that, look, we don't know all the answers, but one thing for sure, and one thing I think people all realize is, you need to start that journey now because your competitors have started that journey. You know, your customers are on that journey personally. You know, regardless, AI is everywhere in people's lives and they expect it. I mean, if you're on Netflix, if you're on Amazon, if you're on Google, everything is becoming personalized. Ads follow you, uh, recommendations uh, for movies, all of this is, um, you know, it's AI and it's absolutely everywhere. So it should be everywhere while you're at work. It, there's no reason why it shouldn't. And yeah. that transformation journey, we believe, now is the best time. You know, it's distributed leadership. Uh, so start, show people, this is how I'm able to manage the company, you know, from home. We're able to run this business. So maybe in some ways, COVID has made us realize how important technology is in our lives and how we should be using it for a positive. Yes, I think, it, and I think now more than ever, um, you know, technology is, you can see the real use for it. You know, it's it's not only, you know, Zoom has been a great, you know, family connector for families overseas and staying connected over the, the last, uh, during COVID. But it's also made a lot of businesses realize we need to stay digitally connected to our employees uh, in a real way and also to our customers more and more. Because yeah. if we don't and something else happens in the future or there's a second wave or some other, you know, virus or whatever, it, is, it has been a wake up call to everybody that you need to make sure as much as possible you can deliver and manage your product or service remotely and effectively uh, to your customers, I think, for the next you know, three to six, going forward, I'd say, in the future. Yeah, because I, I can see basically people now who before were like Luddites, didn't even want to use it, now they're forced to use it, and now they're realizing, I didn't know how good it was for us and what we can do with it in, in hands or pockets, I, with, their, with, their, with their phone. Yeah, and that's the thing about it. And, you know, before it was typically you'd have early adapters in enterprise um, companies that would say, look, I, I want to look at their interest. They had a personal interest in AI. And that's what we found. And then they were our internal ambassadors in companies. But now we find we have companies contacting us saying, look, we've got a problem. I heard that you have a technology that can keep our project managers, you know, more efficient and deliver more money to the bottom line. Because... You know, if you're a company that's turning over a hundred million a year, and on average two and a half percent of that revenue has been lost by, you know, a certain amount of uh, human uh, project management leakage, we'll call it, that people not paying a full attention to detail, then that's two and a half million euros. You know, and some of our clients, that's even it's bigger than that. Yeah. So it's there's a real cost there that by just putting in an AI that will sit alongside people. And help them. And think of it like an avatar, as we said earlier. This is just like your avatar at work to say, uh, Ronan, you need to, you haven't sent that email or followed up with that client. We'd suggest, you know, do just prompt you and keep you uh, on track. Less meetings, less worry because your, your boss is happier, yeah. your customers are happier. So you can take on, and the beauty about this is our clients can take on more work 
they can now manage more projects because they're focused on the quality and the outcome of the project rather than the day-to-day admin and the boring uh, routine part of the projects. Yeah, I'm reminded of the old office sticky when years ago in office, I think it was early 2000s, you had a little emoji to come on screen that would tell you what to do. Remember oh, that? Clippy, wasn't it? Clippy, yeah. I think they, they called it. Yeah. Well, it probably ahead of its time, really, and maybe, you know, not that technology advanced, but they were on to something, you know, and, uh, but ev- everyone is, like, that is, and, you know, that will eventually come when you have a general, but that's moving back into the general AI space, you know? Yeah. Like, we're focused on a very narrow part of AI. Now, we may grow again. We may grow into other areas because we've already been approached to take this technology to other areas within the enterprise. Um, but for the next, you know, 24 to 36 months, we're just going to, you know, hammer this beachhead for us and stay laser focused on, because that's one thing we have learned. Um, the fact that we stripped away all the other uh, AI noise and just focused on this particular area, it's become much easier for us. And I know it sounds like, why weren't you doing that from the start? But, you know, it's a case of, you know, we learned and we, we use this learning and these skills over the last three years to get where we are now. Well, I can say you have to go and find yourself, first of all, to know what you're going to do next. Yeah, you do. And the best way to do it is go and ask your customers, you know, mm-hmm. see what, are you solving a real problem? Is this, is this AI going to make it better by, you know, removing a certain layer of guesswork or, you know, human interaction so that it can be applied elsewhere in the company and make people, because ultimately people should be happier, customers, you know, should be happier. And that's what everybody really wants um, at the end of the day. If you can show it on both sides, which hopefully, you know, our technology is delivering and will continue to deliver, um, then you'll be relevant. You know, then they'll come to you for more and more solutions in the future. Like if you build it, they will come. I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> I very much hope so. Yeah, so on that note, anything else you want to add to the podcast or you think you've said enough? Yeah, I mean, uh, look, uh, this, the next 12 months for us, it's just about productizing our technology for scale across Europe initially. We are also looking at the States because um, some of our, our global uh, software integration and professional services partners are based there. So yeah. we will look at the States and explore some new opportunities there. Um, but both from a channel and from a technology uh, kind of perspective. And, you know, you know as, we, as we touched on earlier, I suppose, um, Ronan, you know, as we've seen in the pandemic, you know, AI is here to make us, you know, live and hopefully work better. Yeah. Uh, but it is just a tool. That's all it is. And it's one that we, you know, if in this new kind of world balance that of technology and human relationship, I think people should welcome it. It's not going to take over. It's just going to, I think, help in areas where people may need to remove the routine from their lives. All right. That's great. Thanks so much for that great enlightening chat, John. And uh, good luck in the future. And hopefully the pandemic does some good for you guys. Yeah, and you too, Ronan, on a personal level. I hope that you're able to get out and about a bit more because yeah. that can't be easy. No, it's, it, it's part of life anyway. So have a great day and take yeah. care. Thanks for that. Yeah, Cheers. good man. Thank you. Thanks. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.